Thanks again for joining us. If this is your first time or maybe second or third time, but you haven't ever done it before, we'd love to know that you're here. So you can go to reallifecc.us and click on the I'm New link on that front page when you get there. Uh, or if you're joining us here in person, uh, there's a tear-off strip at the top of your bulletin. If you got one of those, you can fill out that information on the back, and we'd love to just know that you're here, and we'll send you a little email. We won't flood you with anything else. Um, did, did you ever have a, a nickname growing up? Anybody ever have a nickname growing up? Yeah, a few of you. If, you, if you're watching on, online and you had a nickname, uh, just drop a raise hand emoji or something in there. Uh, if it's appropriate, you can share it with us. If, if not, don't. Uh, <laughs> nicknames are, um, are, are a weird thing, you know. Our, our oldest son, Trevor, was given the uh, nickname uh, T-Man, which is not very original. Uh, but the old guys at the church we were attending at the time um, just started calling him that for some reason. And uh, he was a real long uh, kid, uh, baby, so uh, he was a few years old. They just started uh, calling him that. Like probably every family that has um, one daughter, we called our daughter Sis. Um, still calls her that. In fact, Easton thought that was her name uh, for the first few years, I think. Um, in fact, the nickname thing is so popular that we actually named our last child, because we just got tired of hollering all those names, we just named our last child a nickname. We just named him TJ. Uh, and uh, that's not his name, but, but we named him specifically so that we could call him uh, TJ. Uh, typically, those nicknames are... Like, like they're all in fun, right? I mean, at least when I was growing up, kind of everybody had a nickname. It was just, uh, you know, it was just all in fun. Uh, having a nickname makes you like part of the team. Our youngest son, TJ, was actually called uh, DJ TJ. Last couple years of uh, high school, uh, the football team found out that he could beatbox. And so if you, if you want to, he's sitting in the back there. Uh, after church, you can just go ask him, uh, give you a little demonstration. He'll... Uh, He'll drop a line or two uh, for you. He still does that every once in a while. Um, yeah, he's uh, one of the widest beatboxers you'll ever find, but <laughs> he's okay, you know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that was fun. You know, he, he, he liked it, got a little name. There are other names that we get, though, in, in life, other nicknames that we get that aren't so fun. <laughs> and, and instead of making you feel like you're in... Those nicknames uh, kind of highlight the fact that you're, you're out. So there are um, three types of, of nicknames, I, I think, three types of major types of nicknames. And, and the first one is, you know, the ironic or, or the kind of inclusive um, nickname, right? And, and like, like when you call a big guy tiny. You know, that's just, uh, that's for, for fun. Or, or Curly, you know, you call the bald guy Curly. Or um, Jared, who plays guitar for us, uh, he gets called Redbeard out of love and respect, I assure you. Um, when I played the, the bass in, in the band for several years, I played the bass uh, here at, at Real Life, and um, the guys lovingly called me One Note, which hurt. Um, but I, I knew that they accepted me, right? And so I, you know, I was part of the band because I got that... Um, that, that nickname. So that's kind of nickname. Those are the nicknames that are fun, right? Those are the nicknames that make you feel a part of the group. But there are also another kind of, of nicknames. They're the hurtful or abusive nicknames, like, like failure or slut or stupid or homo 
My sister, when she was younger, she got called freckles a lot. She had a lot of freckles. Everybody else thought it was fun. She didn't quite think it was so much fun. Those kind of nicknames, hurtful nicknames, abusive nicknames, they, they typically highlight somebody's um, race or gender, their, their flaws or perceived flaws, or maybe even their, their religious practices. Sometimes the names we're given, though, can come because we did something in our life, in our past, that, that somebody else thought was um, unacceptable. Maybe, maybe you made a mistake when you were younger, and everybody else thought that was really funny, and so you got a nickname associated with that, with that mistake. Maybe you failed at something, and so you got a nickname that stuck. Maybe you chose to break the law, and so maybe while you were paying the penalty, Maybe while you were incarcerated, you got a nickname there. This, this last type of, of, of nicknames, they're, they're earned names. And um, in churchy speak, a lot of times we, we call the names that we get, or the reason we get these names, we, we usually associate that with sin. And so we might call a, a thief, um, might get the names, you know, Sticky Fingers or or maybe the name associated with, with you or with another person that you know is something like cheater, murderer. Like the kid who picked his nose on the bus that one time because he just couldn't handle it gets called booger for the rest of his life. Wherever they come from, wherever you, you get them, whether they um, come from others or not, some of the some of the worst things I have been called in my life have actually come from my own lips. You know those ones that you kind of mutter under your, under your breath? You've done something, you've, you've said something, and so you, you call yourself failure, stupid, idiot, worthless. And those, those nicknames that we give ourselves are usually followed by um, things like, how could you? Why did you? You, you, you know better than that. Uh, you did it again. I told you you couldn't do it. So whether the labels that we, we get, the, the names that we get, whether they come from others or they come from us, ultimately, those names are born in Satan. He is behind Every false name given to us or taken on by us. Today we're going to look at Jesus' question, what is your name? And we're going to learn a very important truth um, about Jesus, and it's this. Jesus doesn't cancel you for your past. He calls you for your promise. That is not supposed to start right there. Sorry about that. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> I'm glad you could <laughs> jump on that really quick. Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't just accept the names that have been given to us. He doesn't just refer to us or look at us the way everybody else does. He sees beyond our failures and our folly, and he looks into our future to see the person that he created us to be. So today, we're going to take a look at a time that Jesus called someone because of their promise, 
And then how a whole region, a whole regional area was changed because of him. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today, and there's a whole bunch of verses, so I'm just going to read them really quickly. If you're following along with us on the uh, notes online or at live.reallifecc.us, just click on the notes page, and all these verses are there. Here's what Mark says. They came to the other side of the sea, so they sailed from Capernaum on the west side of the Sea of Galilee to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to a region called the the Decapolis. It was about 10 cities that have kind of joined together. And at this point, when Mark um, writes this story, the Decapolis area was, um, or had been anyway, a, a Greek free state. But Pompey, Roman uh, guy Pompey, had, had captured this. And so they're Roman um, colony now. And so Jesus and the disciples, they sailed to the other side of the sea, the east side of the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, crying out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you. That means I, like I beg you. By God, do not torment me. For he was saying, Jesus was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him again earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. To make sure that we understand... This wasn't just some crazy guy in the story, right? The, the only one to, to greet Jesus was this unclean, demon-possessed man. And, and Mark wants to make sure that we understand who he is in the moment. So Mark gives us firsthand details about the man and his situation. He, he lived among the tombs. Now, this was an area where um, there were lots of, of caves, so it was a, a little bit maybe um, not really mountainous, but, um, but there were some hills there. There were caves in the hills. Some of those were just natural caves. Some of them were man-made. And, and, and this is where they would um, put people. They, they would bury people in these caves. Poor people would be buried there. Couldn't afford a better kind of grave, but, but the odd thing about it is that, that the very poor people, if they were trying to escape, they were trying to get out of the weather or something, they might go to these caves as well. Although there's like this wild man there, right? And so, so it seems like um, even the people who might normally be there, they've kind of fled the area and they've kind of left him alone as well. Mark goes on to tell us that nobody could bind him anymore, which means that they had tried to bind him, and, and maybe they'd even been successful at binding him um, at, at some point or another, but they couldn't do it any, anymore. 
And they bound him maybe to keep him from harming himself, keep him from harming other people. It's like they saw it as a way to, to help him, right? This was, this was a beneficial thing. We're going to give you this opportunity. We're going to help you, um, you know, not, not be so, so wild anymore. They were going to tame him, but it didn't work. And he just got stronger and stronger over the years. So the ropes no longer worked. And even when they bound him with chains or shackles, they couldn't hold him. Mark goes on to tell us that night and day he, he screamed and he cut himself, which made people fear him even more. He disrupted civilized society. And maybe you know somebody like that. Or maybe in your past you've been somebody like that. You've, you've been in a situation where, where other people just don't want to be around you because of the way you're acting or the things that you're doing. People who have accepted the names and the labels that they've been given often find solitude a better option than companionship. Like even though we, we, know, we know it's better to be with people, we just go, man, I, just, you know, I can feel like they're uncomfortable and so... And so anytime we're different, we want to pull away from everybody else. And if you've had a nickname for a long time, you know that the longer that you hold on to that name, the longer you repeat it in your, in your mind, the longer you tell yourself, this is who I am, the greater hold that that name has on you until it feels like it would be impossible to free yourself from that. Maybe even in your life t- today, you're, you're sitting here, but you're, but you're thinking, if, if this wouldn't have happened in my life, if I wouldn't have been given that name, if I wouldn't have been labeled that thing, my life would be completely different today. Accepting the names that have been given us, which, which remember, I think come from Satan, ultimately come from Satan. Accepting those names always leads to self-injurious behaviors. And those behaviors further isolate you from those who might try to help you. And, and maybe you're not, you're not cutting yourself. But there are other things that you might be doing that are separating you from everybody else, from, from those people who, who are trying to care for you, right? And, and so um, this is the situation that the townspeople, they were trying to care for him by binding him, by, by helping him, by, by finding a way to control him a little bit, and it wasn't working. And finally, it's just like everybody had given up, like this is just the way it is. Maybe you've come to that point in your life where you think this is just the way it is. It'll never get any better. I I am an addict. I'm going to continue to be an addict. I screwed up then. I'm going to continue to screw up. Like, Like my life just is not going to change. This is who I am. And we just kind of accept that, right? We just take on those names. But but look at what happens when Jesus shows up. This man who is so strong that that the whole town basically was unable to control him. They were unable to restrain him or subdue him. This man who caused so much chaos for this whole area and this whole city of people sees Jesus from afar. He's getting out of the boat onto the, the shore and he runs to meet him. 
And he gets there and he bows down before Jesus. The man who couldn't be shackled, who broke the chains, who everybody was afraid of, runs to Jesus and kneels before him and asks, what do you want? Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Now here's why this is an important piece of the the story. Last week, if you were here, we, we looked at Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. And we talked about the story where Jesus is on the boat with the disciples and they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee. Okay, this is Mark 5 that we're in today, but this is the same story that, that Matthew 8 is talking about. So Jesus and his disciples, they're on the, the western side of the Sea of Galilee in the area of Capernaum. They get into a boat, they begin to sail across the sea. To meet this very guy. And while they're sailing across the sea, the storm comes up, right? We talked about that last week. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and the disciples are freaked out because the waves are crashing over the boat, and the wind is whipping around, and maybe there's a thunderstorm, and it's just chaos, and they're afraid that they're going to die, and so they finally wake Jesus up. Jesus, don't you care that that we're about to drown? Don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus talks about their faith. And then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and the sea calms down and they make it to the other side. Now, they left probably in the evening and they were going to sail maybe just a couple hours to get across the Sea of Galilee before it was too dark. But the storm comes up and so they have probably been on the Sea of Galilee most if not all of the night before they finally make it across early the next morning. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and this this naked wild man comes running up to him. And he says, You're Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Now there are those who believe that the storm on the Sea of Galilee that night was not just a natural occurrence, but that Satan and his demons maybe had caused the storm, and that's why Jesus was asleep. That's why he was sleeping during it. Now, now this is not so crazy. If you go to the book of Job and you read the story of Job, you find out that Satan is given power, at least in the story of Job, he's given power over natural events. He, he causes a tornado and windstorms and a bunch of other things um, to kill Job's servants and uh, his flocks and his herds and and ultimately all of his children in one event. And and so Satan controls the weather. He controls people. He controls animals. It's a lot of things that Satan is able to control in that story. And so the idea that Satan is controlling this storm on the Sea of Galilee to try and kill Jesus and keep him from doing whatever it is that he is going to do, like Satan doesn't know why Jesus is here, right? the, The angels don't even know what's going on, the Bible tells us. And so all he knows is that the Son of God came to earth and is living in a in a shell like a man, and so Satan is trying to kill him and kill his disciples and just be done with it. And so when Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves, it's really he's rebuking the demons that are controlling the wind and the waves, and the sea calms down and Jesus makes it to the other side. But here's the important part. Remember what the disciples said after Jesus calmed the winds and the waves. 
They said, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? But he gets to the other side of the sea and a demon-possessed wild man who lives in the tombs comes running out, stark naked. He gets to Jesus. He bows down in front of him even though nobody has been able to subdue him and he calls him Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Jesus had important work to do on the other side of the sea of Galilee. He had to meet a man who'd been abandoned by everybody else in his life. And perhaps the reason that this man was first to meet Jesus when he gets to the shore is that, is that remember, the story tells us he's legion, right? There's a legion of demons. It just means there's a lot of demons who live in this man. And they're aware that overnight the spiritual activity, because right demons can see things that we can't, they're aware that overnight there's this incredible spiritual activity on the Sea of Galilee. And they're aware that with a word, Jesus stops it. And then he gets to the shore and the man comes out and goes, Whew, I know who you are. I know what happened last night. And so he came to see. And this is where Jesus asks him, what is your name? And it turns out that Jesus wasn't really talking to the man at all, right? Like we, You figure that out as you're reading the story. Jesus wasn't talking to the man. He was talking to the many demons who had possessed the man, who had control over him. That's why he was so strong. That's why he was able to break the chains. It's why he lived in the tombs. It's why he was naked, why he cut himself. He, he wasn't himself at all. And he was behaving according to his name, his label, demon-possessed. He was functioning the way that everybody expected him to, to function. And then Jesus asked the question, what is your name? And the response that comes is not from the man, but from the demons who answer. And they answer with a united voice, right? It's not a whole bunch of different names. It's one name. We've decided to call ourselves Legion, for we're many. There's a lot of us. And so we know why the man had the strength to break the chains. We know why he lived in the tombs alone. We know why he injured himself. But no matter how many demons were present in the man, these demons who couldn't be subdued by men kneel before Jesus. And instead of acting tough, you know, these, these demons, had, no, nobody had been able to stand up against him. They'd been able to do whatever they want, and everybody lived in fear of them. And instead of acting tough, they immediately realized that they are outgunned, and they ask for terms right off the bat. We know who you are, Jesus, okay? We're, like, we, we give up. <laughs> we give up. Don't, don't destroy us. Don't torment us. Don't send us to the end before it's time. If you would just... Um, look, there's some pigs over there. Just send us in. Like, we know you don't like pigs anyway. So just send us over to the pigs and everything will be um, okay. 
And so Jesus sends the unclean spirits to the unclean pigs. And, and in Jewish culture, right, God had said that pigs were unclean. and Pigs are where bacon comes from, so I don't really get it. Um, but, but that's just the way it was back then, right? This was God's law. And, and the pigs then, what do they do? They promptly run over the steep cliff down into the Sea of Galilee where they drown. That's interesting to me. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't care about this. But but I kind of like this kind of thing. It's interesting to me that 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 the night before Satan and demons tried to drown Jesus in the Sea of Galilee, and it doesn't work. Jesus has power over the wind and the waves, and he gets to the other side and he meets this demon and he sends him into the pigs. And what do they do? They drowned in the very place where they tried to kill Jesus just a few hours before. I think it's funny that the instrument Satan used to try and kill Jesus becomes the instrument of his own downfall. And notice that that what was happening to the man happened to the pigs. The spirits drove them mad. But but look what happens um, next. The people of the city come to Jesus and they see the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there and he was clothed and in his right mind. And pay attention to this, they were afraid. Seems kind of weird, doesn't it? This guy had been tormenting this area for years. Every time somebody died and they tried to go to the tombs to bury him, this man was there and it freaked them out like they couldn't go. This was, a, this was a scary dude. Like this guy, you never knew what he was going to do. He's always screaming night and, and day and it's this terrible thing and yet they get there and he's sitting, he's dressed, he's in it right mind and, and, and now they're afraid. And those who had seen it, the, the guys who were watching the pigs, they described it to the rest of the people. They described what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And then the people of the town began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So some of the pig herders go and they go into the city. They tell the people what had happened. The people all rush out and, of, of, of course, they come to the sea and they and they see this for themselves. They find Jesus, they find his disciples, this formerly demon-possessed man who's now sitting quietly, clothed, he's in his right mind, he's having a normal conversation, he's listening to Jesus, and that makes the people afraid. The people who'd lived in fear for years, the people who told their children and maybe themselves were raised around this man and said, look, stay away from him. Don't have anything to to do with him. Um, Don't go down there. Don't play near there. These same people who tried to secure him themselves so they wouldn't have to fear. And nothing worked. And now they finally get what they want, what they've been afraid of for so long, but it wasn't It wasn't the free man they feared this time. They feared the one who had the ability to control what was beyond their ability to control. Do you get how that's different? 
These people were trying to control this man, to, to, to bring some calm and, uh, from the chaos of this man. And they had been unsuccessful for a very long time. And then Jesus shows up and all of a sudden that thing they'd been trying to control and couldn't was under control because of one man. And, and it scared him. It, it freaked him out. Just like the disciples who were in fear and awe of a man who could control the the wind and the waves, the townspeople now are afraid of a single man who who has the power to do what the whole region of people was unable to do. Now, chances are pretty good that no one is calling you demon possessed. You don't live in a cemetery. You don't randomly scream at people, at least most of the time. You don't randomly scream at people. You don't run around the city naked, cutting yourselves. But that doesn't mean that some people in your life don't try to avoid you. My family knows what it's like to have people stare at you and keep their distance. Some people in our own extended family have given our son Trent a very wide berth, treated him and his screams and his self-injurious behavior, much like the townspeople probably that Mark tells us about. We've had to restrain Trent in, in, in grocery stores. We've had to stop on the side of the road and get him out of the car in the ditch to restrain him and and restrain him at family get-togethers. We know what it's like to be on the receiving end of, of stares and names. And maybe you do too. Whenever you received your nickname, and for whatever reason you got it, like the demon-possessed man, the longer you have the name, the stronger its hold on you. Until you just decide to become what others believe you to be. And I wonder how many futures have been forever altered because someone decided to be what others thought they were. This is why it's so important for us to understand that that Jesus doesn't avoid you because of your label. He pursues you because of his love. Jesus took all night to go across the sea in the middle of a storm that was trying to kill him in order to bring freedom to this one man and restore his future. But, but it's not the end of the, of the story Right? We, we tend to, to think that it was all about this, this one man, that Jesus went all the way across the, the sea, that he endured the entire storm just to bring salvation to this one man, right? And, and, and we would say that. We would say, look, Jesus came to earth and he went to the cross just for you. And he does have that kind of love for you. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the only reason that Jesus went across the sea and endured the storm. Jesus pursued him because he loved him, but also because Jesus knew the man would become his disciple. That he would follow Jesus. That he would try to look more like him every day so that others could find freedom and the real life 
that Jesus' disciples experienced after meeting him. And so it wasn't just about this one man, but it was about the future, the promise of this one man. So look what happens in the next verse. As Jesus is getting in the boat, he, like, like, look, he come all the way across the sea. He brings, he restores this man. He casts the demons out. The people come, they ask him to leave. So he gets in the boat. He's like, okay, I'm going. He gets in the boat and, and, and he goes. By the way, that's what Jesus does, right? If you say, go away, like he gets in the boat. Like he's not going to force himself on you. And so the man who had been possessed with demons, he begs him to come but that he might be with him. And that, that term means that he might be his disciple, that he might follow him. But Jesus did not permit him. He said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. By the way, the word translated friends, those like extended friends, family, neighbors, that's the kind of idea with that word. And he went away. This is the man, the demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed man. He went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, those ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Look. Um, oh, it did it again. This is what this says. You can't say, I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, how you see yourself is how you'll show yourself to others. How you see yourself is how you'll show yourself to others. And that's why names can be so powerful for harm or for good. This formerly demon-possessed man, he listens to Jesus, and at the end of the next chapter, Mark chapter 6, Mark tells us that the next time Jesus sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the east side, to the area of the Decapolis, and he got out of the boat, he was immediately met by people who recognized him. Because of this one wild disciple who simply told others what Jesus had done for him and how Jesus' love for him overcome, overcame his label, a whole region of people recognized. They came to know Jesus as the promised king, the Messiah. That's one of the things we say here at, at, at Real Life. Man, the more messed up you are, the more baggage you've got, the, the more hang-ups you've got in your past, the greater the possibility that God can use you for incredible things in the future. Because imagine what happens when this formerly demon-possessed man walks back into town dressed and in his right mind. What is going on? And he has the opportunity to say, look, I know this is how I used to live. I know that this is what my life was marked by. I know these were the names that I was given by all of you. But this guy named Jesus, he changed my life. And so, um, what is your name? What name have you taken on in your life? What name was given to you when you were young and you've held on to that? What name do you repeat to yourself when you do something 
dumb? Are you living up to the names or the labels given to you by others because of your past? Or are you living into your promise? Now look, you can, you can continue to be the person that Satan is trying to convince you that you are. You can continue trying to live up to who Satan wants you to be. Or you can step into the promise of who you were created to be. And those are two completely different things. And no matter how long you've had your name, no matter how strong its hold on you, no name given to you by Satan can stand against the call of God in your life. There's no name that's going to hold you back from what God wants to accomplish through you. And so, so here's what I want you to do. Be the person that Jesus sees when he looks at you. Don't, don't live up to the names that have been given you. Don't live up to the names that Satan has called you, that he's planted in, in your head. That, that may be what happened in your past, but that is not the promise of your future. And so be the person that Jesus sees when he looks at you. When you go back to work tomorrow, you don't have to continue acting and behaving the way that you did when you left on Friday. This afternoon or this evening, when the opportunity presents itself, when there's stress or there's just an opening and you can go back to that addiction, go, go back to that computer in the dark room by yourself, go back to texting that person that you know you, you shouldn't. You don't have to be that person anymore. Jesus can set you free. And you just got to do what that demon-possessed man did. You got to recognize that Jesus is the king. That he died in your place and that he rose as your defender. And because of that, he invites you into a relationship with God the Father where you can live your real life through the power of the Holy Spirit and daily surrender to Jesus' reign while you wait for his return. You can be a disciple, a follower of Jesus when you submit to the king. And look, you'll know when you've become the person of promise that, that Jesus knows that you are, that Jesus saw in you the very first moment. You'll know when you get there because of this, because of you, others will see him and they'll find that freedom as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for not seeing us or calling us based on our past, but looking at the promise and the potential that we have when we surrender our lives to you. When we surrender our lives to you and, and follow you and do the things you tell us to do, even when we don't want to. 
think of what happened. This whole area of the Decapolis, these 10 cities, this entire region east of the Sea of Galilee came to know your son Jesus because this one man whose life was changed obeyed. Even though he didn't get what he wanted He wanted to go with with Jesus. He wanted to get in the boat. He wanted to learn from him and be close to him and and be his disciple. And yet yet Jesus said, no, I've got a greater purpose for you. And so the man simply told his story. And because his past was so messed up, people were able to see Jesus more clearly in him and through him. And so, Father, would we be a light like that? This afternoon, um, tomorrow morning when we go to work, would people be able to visibly see that we have been with Jesus? Would we surrender our lives daily to following you and continue to do that until Jesus comes back? Father, we want to do that because we want to help every person possible find real life in your son, Jesus. Would you help us? Because that's a job that we simply can't do on our own. Thank you, God, for calling us by our promise. Help us to leave that past behind. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.